The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership. Man, I'm excited to have, finally, Carly Fiorina on the show. I say finally because it was five years ago she was scheduled to come on this show Right about the same time, in fact, it was the week of, she announced her pres- uh, candidacy for president of the United States in 2015. So understandably, as you can see, she had to reschedule. And uh, I was so disappointed, but I understood. And now here it is five years later, and uh, finally got on the show. And it was such an honor, such a treat, such a value-packed conversation. You're really going to enjoy it. Uh, I've been a fan of Carly for a long time, way back even when she was uh, in Hewlett-Packard in the early 2000s, late 1990s. And uh, really uh, admired her as a leader, admired her decision-making style, and it it's come through comes through in this conversation. She is a true leader, a seasoned problem solver, and that's what I've always liked about it. You can see from this conversation, she's a passionate, articulate advocate for problem solving. She says we should be running towards problems. Uh, she noticed that in herself as a young leader that she was found herself running towards problems, and as she did it more and solved more problems, it kind of became addicting. And I truly I truly get that, and I think that is at the key what leadership is. If we want to become leaders of influence, we need to be constantly figuring out how we can add value to this, to this situation. Every transaction we have in life and in business is an opportunity for leadership development and growth and adding value, and adding value, solving problems, you know, you know, tackling the, the tough challenges head-on, that is the key to leadership. That really does define leadership, right? I love her beliefs, her missions that, that that we as leaders, it's our job to inspire, to equip, to connect individuals and teams to seize those opportunities, to face those challenges head on. And uh, just like we talk about here in Dose of Leadership, this decentralized concept of leadership, of, of creating a culture of decentralized decision-making, she knows that everyone has more potential than they realize. How many times have we said that on this show? We all have way more influence than we realize. And also, too, that the closest people closest to the problem, those people that have eyes on opportunities, eyes on those challenges, those people closest to the problem really understand the problem the best. So therefore, it's our job to lead and to unlock the potential in those people so that they can actually solve those problems. And again, the result is more progress, more innovation, more satisfaction, more retention, more engagement, on and on and on. That is the secret sauce. And she truly gets it. And man, she's got the experience to back it up. I mean, her experience spans from secretary to CEO, from public to private, from for-profit, non-profit, presidential candidate. She's, her resume is just amazing. And it was a true honor and joy to have her on the show. You're really going to get some value out of this conversation. And I'm, I'm interested to, to get the feedback from you and tell me what you think. I really do appreciate you tuning, tuning into this show. If you haven't done so already, please, all I ask you to do, this is a free resource for you. Hopefully, it's helping you in your leadership journey. And so my call to action to you is if you haven't done so, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast app. Download it to your phone, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever your favorite podcast application. Download, subscribe, rate, and review so you can get notifications when a new episode is released. And it helps in my algorithm, particularly in Apple Podcasts, if you subscribe, rate, and review keeps me front and center. We're consistently in the top 20 in Apple Podcasts in the business management category, and I appreciate it, and I wouldn't be there if it wasn't for you. So thank you for that, and thank you for all the recent reviews. For those of you that, that had taken that, my advice and my call to action, and leave that review, it really means the world to me. Check out doseofleadership.com for all my services, speaking, teaching, coaching, all aspects of leadership, my Legacy Leader Blueprint course. I'm always pushing that, particularly in this 
COVID-19 world where we're doing things online and through Zoom. That's how I've been teaching that course for over five years. So check it out, Legacy Leader Blueprint course, if you're interested in having your team understand or plant those seeds of leadership inside your organization. My course is a perfect way to do that. It doesn't break the bank and you get over six and a half, seven and a half hours of live coaching with me in addition to the 20 videos of Legacy Leader Blueprint, all for $500 a seat. Check it out at doseofleadership.com. All right, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for being a fan of the show. Let's get on with this amazing conversation with Carly Fiorina here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Carly, what an honor and a blessing to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thank you so much. It's really great to be with you. Richard, thank you for having me. Yeah, I've been a fan of you for a really long time from the leadership front. been following you for a long time. In fact, I asked you to come on the show right about the time you were announcing your candidacy for president, and then you got really busy. So uh, I understand. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you're back now. All hell broke loose, literally. <laughs> yeah, all hell broke loose. <laughs> What, how did, but I we're older and wiser now. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. What was that? You just, it, it, if you could sum up that experience, what, how, did, how was it? When it was all said and done and the dust settled and you, and you were out of the race, what, what, how would you categorize that experience? Well, first, I knew the odds were very long. I mean, I knew it was a big uphill um, hill <laughs> to climb. And uh, so I wasn't unrealistic about my chances. However, um, I've always run to problems, and I think our politics has become a problem. Yeah. I think we have too few leaders, too few problem solvers, too many politicians who uh, don't really know much about leading change and reform. And um, what I learned in the course of all that is it was a privilege to run, mostly because of the citizens I got to speak with along the way. Um, but our politics is an even bigger problem than I thought it was. I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think it's just it's so um, frustrating, I guess, even from you know someone particularly like yourself who's kind of you know, has has been through the gauntlet is from my vantage point. I mean, leading uh, a corporation, going through merger, dealing with uh, a board of directors that didn't always agree with you, all of those things I just can't even imagine, you know, and, and, and then getting with politics. It is, it's, I don't know, for me, who's a leadership junkie, it's frustrating even now. And I've had, I've talked to many leaders on the show about this and we look at the sideline, there's just no in the whole realm of politics, you just don't see anybody with this kind of um, love of leadership. You know, this authentic authenticity, this transparency, just seems to be vacant in so many circles, and, and it's disconcerting. I mean, I don't know how we solve it. I mean, it's it's, it's a big problem. Well, it is disconcerting, and you know, George Washington, the father of our country, so to speak, said in his farewell address to the nation in 1789, I think was the right year. The trouble with politics is it will come to, it will become all about winning. Yeah. And that's what it's about. And winning is a very specific thing. <laughs> you know, someone has to lose for someone to win. Winning in political terms has become all about who's the enemy, who's wrong. It's become all about the money. But winning is not the same as leading, and winning is not the same as problem solving. And of course, leadership and problem solving are inextricably linked. And winning is not the same as changing the order of things for the better. So we do all kinds of things in politics to win, but it doesn't necessarily solve anything, which is why we talk about problems, election action after election. And it's why we become more divided, because in order to win, someone has to lose. Ultimately, citizens are going to have to decide what they're after is leadership, and leadership is measured in very different ways. Yeah. And we need more leaders, which is why you and I are talking. That's right. Absolutely right. Well, I think I, in a lot of ways, I think I was talking with Simon Sinek on this 
show last week or two weeks ago, and we were talking about the kind of the same thing where, you know, his book, The Infinite, Infinite Game is kind of around that mindset. And we even see, kind of see that in, um, in business where, you know, like politics and business and life, it's not a finite game where you've got winners and losers, right? And, and I think that's where we lose sight of it. It is an infinite game, an infinite game in an infinite mindset kind of, and I think that's where the conflicts, like where people like you and I, where we get frustrated because it, consciously or unconsciously, we're playing an infinite game. We understand that from a leadership perspective, we're laying down a legacy and a foundation where we actually may not even see the benefits in our lifetime. Does that make sense? I mean, I, uh, that's how I see leadership. Yes, absolutely. You know, right? Well, yeah. exactly. Because infinite says I can win and you can win. Exactly. Right. In order for me to win, you don't have to lose, actually. And that infinite mindset is takes the imagination that a leader must have to see that infinite mindset is a big part of that. I would call it imagination, but I love the infinite mindset language as well. Yeah. One thing I always appreciated about you, um, and again, um, as an outside observer, I didn't really know you. I've always appreciated your um, – you seem like a, a decision maker or not afraid to make decisions, I guess. And I think that is probably one of the vis- biggest vacuums in leadership and probably one of the greatest opportunities for any leader at every level is to get comfortable with making decisions with partial information. I, again, I don't know your decision-making style if you're comfortable making decisions with partial information, but it seems like that is something that's very important to you. It, how does that resonate with you? Well, certainly leaders must make decisions. And uh, otherwise, you're just treading water. And it's one of the reasons why when I develop leaders, when I build teams in the digital curriculum that we have, I always start with courage. Because it takes courage to act. It takes courage to decide when the information is incomplete. It takes courage to withstand the inevitable criticism that comes no matter what decision make. <laughs> There's always criticism that accompanies it because nothing is perfect. And so, yes, a leader has to be humble enough to understand that they need the input of many so that the options they have for problem solving are as wide as possible. That's particularly important in a crisis. And yet, a leader also must have the courage to say, okay, now we need to act, we need to decide. And one of the things I learned long ago is an imperfect decision made in a timely fashion always turns out better than a perfect decision made too late. And so you must have the courage to act and withstand the inevitable criticism that comes along. Well, you're definitely speaking my language. I, I say that all the time. I learned that same phrase about I, it's so much better to make, again, a good decision or even a mediocre decision in a timely fashion. I think timeliness is so – it's certainly equal to um, a sound decision. And again, it's not that we want to make bad decisions, but I think I, I see so many times people sitting around waiting too long, missing the opportunity, I guess, right? And, 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 and it that's right. Kind of that's could, right. Or letting the problem fester too long. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rapid, rapid decision-making or time of decision-making is so critical. It's tough though, because like you said, everybody wants to make the perfect one because we don't want to make the mistakes. We don't want to lose face. We don't want to lose our position, whatever. There's, there's a whole host of reasons why we don't want to make that wrong decision. And again, it's not that we're throwing. And our goal is, yeah, our goal isn't to make the wrong decision, yeah. but to your point, the goal is to decide in time. Well, and I think that's what I've always respected about you is because you have faced a tremendous amount of, of – um, there has been ample opportunity for you to, to kind of lead through a crisis, right? I mean um, 9-11 um, – uh, I mean, uh, a whole host of things, right? I mean, you, you've you had kind of trial by fire of, of leading through a crisis. Yes. And let, let me just first say, um, you know, I started out as a secretary yeah. in a nine-person real estate firm. And so when I landed eventually in corporate America, you know, in a huge company, a million employees at the time, AT&T, you know, I was at the bottom of the ladder. I wasn't particularly qualified. Um, so I didn't, quote, aspire to leadership or to climb the corporate ladder. Honestly, I was trying not to get fired every day. But what I saw was problems. 
everywhere. Mm-hmm. Problems that had festered, problems that everybody talked about, problems everybody bitched about. And what I did was start working with other people and solving problems. And what I figured out was that when you solve problems, you get results and people pay attention. My point in starting there is to say this. I learned that the more problems I solved, the more problems I wanted to solve. I ran to problems. I embraced challenge. And I think all leaders do that because they realize that solving problems is their purpose. Changing the order of things for the better is their purpose. If you're just treading water and doing the best you can in the status quo, you might be a good manager, but you're not a leader. And so a crisis is the most important time for leadership. It's when leadership is an absolutely essential ingredient. You can get by without leadership when things are okay, when times are good, but you cannot get by without leadership in a crisis. And I've led through many, to your point. And when you don't have leadership in a crisis, it's really obvious. Yeah, that was well said. I love what you said there, and, it, and it's so true. And I'm, I'm glad you you – uh, painted that back backstory of how you got to the, where it was. And because that is the ultimate mindset, I think that a lot of young leaders, I know even myself, it took me a while to grasp that it isn't about the position. It's not about the title. It's not about maybe even all the results and the KPIs that you meet, which certainly is, is part of, of business and life. But it's the mindset of like, how can I add value to the situation and solve these problems? That really is the foundational mindset that we must have as leaders. I agree with you 100%. It's about how it's about adding value. That's that's another way of saying what you said that's about right. solving problems, right? And yes, it exactly right. It's about adding value. And I think in a way, I learned that lesson the hard way I mentioned when I started in corporate America, I really wasn't qualified. And so I asked a whole bunch of questions because I thought, you know, I'm not going to add value by telling other people what to do. Right, right. <laughs> I don't know what to tell other people to do, <laughs> right. but maybe I can add value by hearing enough from them to understand for the better they solve festering problems, they hit challenges head on, and they, to your point a couple of minutes ago, they aren't afraid to decide and to act when a decision and action and leadership called for. I love that. I mean, I I can't imagine. I'm I'm trying to even think how I even came to learn that where where it shifted for me. I guess it was it, you know you would have thought it would have been in the Marine Corps, but it was actually after the Marine Corps where it kind of came crystal clear to me. It's like I think even my time in the Marine Corps, the ten years, I was still thinking about how to get to the next level, how to get to the next level, how can I impress? And, and it wasn't until I got to corporate America that I was like okay, I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to kind of dig in. And I love what you said about when you started solving problems, you started finding it, it, it kind of became addicting, right? I mean, I know that's what it was for me. I said, I started chasing the problems and seeing where I could solve and add value. And it wasn't, and it became more selfless, I guess what it was. I guess I would characterize my time in the Marine Corps as, as more selfish as opposed to selfless. I don't know if that resonates with you or not, but. Well, yes, it absolutely does because um, a leader serves. A leader serves. You know, you and I agree a thousand percent that leadership isn't about position or title. It's not about the size of your office. None of those things matter, although sometimes a leader can have position and title in a big office, but it's not what makes them a leader. A leader serves. They serve by changing the order of things for the better. They serve by solving problems. They serve by helping others achieve more than they thought they could achieve. And as, you know, as I went through my life and it remains the same today, I said I learned that I wanted to solve more and more complicated problems. I ran to problems. I loved the challenge. But the other thing that happened to me is as I was leading teams to solve these problems, I would see that look that people get in their eyes when they realize, oh my gosh, we did something we didn't think we could do. We did something. I did something I didn't think I could do. When people realize that, they get a look in their eye. And it's the same look the world over. And when I see that look in somebody else's eyes, it's fuel. 
for me. And so I believe leaders serve. The purpose of leadership is to solve problems and to change the order of things for the better. But the highest calling of a leader is to unlock potential in others, because that's what a leader does when they start collaborating with others and solving problems is other people get better, too. It's not just that the problem gets better. The problem does get better. Circumstances get better. People get better when there is leadership. Yeah, I love what you said. I mean, it it is kind of the natural stages of leadership, even when I, again, look back at my early stages of leadership it was kind of about position and title and trying to and then as you progress and you as you get older and a little more wiser it does it should be the ultimate goal is to start to get to that transformation transformational level of leadership where i'm leaders are creating other leaders that is the ultimate goal right and um well i wish i would have known that when i meant i wish i would have known that in my 20s you know but uh Well, but, you know, we all have to get older to get wiser. That's the truth. (laughs) We know that good leaders create more leaders. And we got lots of problems in the world, so we need a lot of leaders. Yeah. Well, how did it, um, as you got through the the, uh, campaign and you started getting back to civilian life and what you're doing now, I mean, is that what's what's driving you now is is to teach everyone to think and act like a leader? Is that what's driving you? That is the work that we do serving the nonprofit community through uh, my foundation called Unlocking Potential. It's the work we do uh, for businesses across the country uh, through Carly Fiorina Enterprises. All of that work is focused on developing leaders, developing effective teams, um, because I know how much difference that makes. And because I know, based on experience, you know, this isn't academic. It's not theoretical. I know from experience, as do you, that leaders are made, not born. And I also know that the fundamental characteristics of leadership, you talk about consistency and courage and calm. I talk about courage and character, resilience, humility, empathy, imagination, collaboration. Those characteristics are available to all of us as human beings. Those are human characteristics. We can develop them or not. We can value them or not. We can use them or not. And so what I'm focused on is to lift up as many leaders as possible, first by saying, you can be a leader too, and there are problems in front of you that are yours to solve. And here are the tools you can use, the disciplines you can practice in order to hone the skills and the characteristics and the behaviors of a leader. How do we how do we go about doing that in your mind? I, and maybe maybe the right question to ask is I have four daughters and that's why I always love talking to uh, women leaders. I'm always trying to tell them and give them advice. Sometimes I think it would be better to hear it from uh, someone like yourself. I struggle in uh, my daughter's age and range from uh, 15 to 23 and I have four of them. And even though with all this positivity that I give them and all this you know, examples of leadership and everything I try to do, I still see them struggling with um, confidence and kind of buying into the cynicism of, you know, corporate, you know, at, when you work in a corporation like, oh, my, I'm at the bottom of the rung. What I do doesn't matter. And that drives me crazy when anybody says it, but particularly when my daughters say it. And, and what advice would you give them? particularly given your background and your story, as you said, that great story of starting out as a secretary and working your way up, what would you tell them to to get them to believe and understand that leadership is for them? So first, you're a blessed man to have four daughters. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm sure they are blessed equally to have you as their father. So first, I would say, realistically, it's different when you're different. Mm. So if you are different than most everyone else around you, whatever your differences are, maybe they're gender-based. I mean, I grew up in a man's world. Right. Whatever your differences are, if everyone else around you is different than you, it's going to be different for you. Different in the sense that you will be scrutinized differently, criticized differently, the expectations of you may be different. So you just need to understand that. Life isn't always fair. It's different when you're different. 
Having said that, I think it's really about getting clear about the difference between extrinsic affirmation and intrinsic value. And what I mean by that is, especially now on social media, oh my goodness, it's all about what other people say about you. It's all about how curated your photos are on Instagram. It's all about our culture lifts up external affirmation, appearances, they love me. And unfortunately, while all that is, I I liken it to cotton candy, you know, it kind of tastes delicious for a second, but then it's gone. And there's no nutrition in it at all. The nutritious food comes from realizing first inside yourself that every single one of us has more potential than we realize. And that's true of all of us. We all have more potential than we realize. And then second is to say, let's go back to your phrase, how do I, with all my potential, add value? Because by adding value, I'm going to unlock more of my potential. That's how we grow. We don't grow by eating cotton candy. We grow by sinking our teeth into something nutritious and doing something. And at a certain point, you just have to let go what other people think about you. (laughs) Yeah. What I've learned is if you do the right things for the right reasons to the very best of your ability, most of the time people are going to figure it out and they'll respect you and like you for it. Yeah. But if you run around trying to be liked, you're a lot like cotton candy. Very ephemeral, nothing nutritious. It'll just fade away. Yeah, spot on. I mean, great point. You're absolutely right. And I think that is the, the – and I love what you said about if – just the reality is if you're different, I mean, it's going to be different, right? I mean, that makes – it yep. sounds so it, – it's true. true. It's just true. And where we get kind of caught up in, we get caught up in, in our head of, of focusing on the differences or that, or that we're different. And I think if you – Yes, and then we then, – then we, I apologize no, for no, no, go ahead. What happens then is we let other people's hang-ups with yes. why we're different, if we're not careful, define us. Exactly. And that is the problem. Yeah. You know what? Goodness, I could tell you stories. I mean, I've encountered every – Absolutely everything you can imagine as a young woman growing up in a man's world, climbing the corporate ladder, being the first woman CEO, whatever you can imagine, I've been through it. Right. Okay. Every time I went through one of those things, I had a decision to make. Does that person's feeling about me, action toward me, pity about me, do I let them define me? Or do I decide for myself who I am, what I am, and what a value am I going to add? Yeah. And that's where the power lies. And I think that's a lot of times what people don't realize how much, you know, no matter what happens, you still have the power to choose how you react to it. And it sounds so cliche, but it, there is tremendous autonomy and power in that decision, in that choice, right? Yes. It's huge power. It's, you know, um, my third book, Find Your Way, uh, which came out last year, I talk about this a lot, uh, unlocking your power, because none of us, here we are in the midst, let me just say it this way, here we are in the midst of a global pandemic. If ever there was a reminder that none of us can control our circumstances, right. it's this. Right. None of us can control our circumstances. We cannot control other people. All we can control is what we do, what we choose, how we act. And once we understand, I can control my behavior, my actions, my response, my character. I can control whether I'm paralyzed by my fear or whether I get over my fear and find courage. Once we realize that's what we control, then you're always in control. That's right. And that is the ultimate power. And that's very liberating. You're absolutely right. I mean, and that is that is the secret sauce. And to your point, is like the moment – I've said this before in the show. The, the moment that you can – you stop worrying about what other people think about you, it, your whole life is transformed. 
It's not that you're. That's right. That's not you. Just you don't care what other people think. It's not that you're not caring about people, but you stop worrying about what what they think about you, right? And it's like what gives them the right to control, you know, whatever their decisions, whatever they think, and their actions. How I cannot let that define me, you know, and I can't let it define that. It it cannot cloud what is the right thing to do at this moment. It cannot cloud, you know, how I feel about me and how I'm going to live out the rest of my life. But man. Yes. It, you know, I, I remember having an interview uh, with a reporter when I was a CEO. And, you know, rep- reporters are not always the most friendly people. Right. I was in a very high-profile position doing very uh, controversial but ultimately necessary things. And I was the first. I was different. So, you know, it was a ton of scrutiny and criticism. And at the end of this interview, it wasn't a particularly friendly interview, and we tussled back and forth over things. And at the end of it, he said to me, you are the most ferociously self-determined person I've ever met. Now, I'm not sure he meant it as a compliment, but I took it as a huge compliment. (laughs) Because I think each of us need to be ferociously self-determined. You need to be ferocious about it because so many other people want to define us for us. And so you have to be ferocious about defining yourself, but it is the ultimate power. I can remember when I was diagnosed with cancer, I mean, a terrifying thing. There are, of course, professional crises like 9-11 or SARS or Ebola or COVID-19, and there are personal crises like, oh, my God, I have cancer. And I remember having to go through this in my own head. Okay, I can't control the fact that I have cancer. I can't, but I can control how I fight it, how I live with it, how I respond to it. And then I was inspired by others who I saw doing the same thing. We can control our own behavior, and that's how we determine who we are. Yeah. Oh, it's it sounds so easy when we're talking about it, right? I mean, it's it's. I mean, when you hear it, and that's what I love about leadership. When you hear it, it's like it's so simple and easy to understand. The challenge is is applying it every single day, but it is a, it is a challenge every day, right? But I think understanding that we are in way more we have way more influence first of all than we think we have right and we have we have way more control over the movie that that our life ends up being i mean we 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 ultimately control how we respond to it to your point we cannot control the extenuating circumstances that come at us every single day but those choices will will define the movie that that becomes your life and legacy Yes. And by the way, one of the reasons I do the work that I do um, and that you do the work you do in this podcast, for example, is because it does sound easy, but people have to practice it. And so, for example, you know, how do you get to be brave? And one of the things people have said to me, you're fearless. And no, that's not true. I've just (laughs) learned how to overcome fear and find courage. And so, you know, we teach simple tools. I learned a long time ago because I was afraid of so many things. Yeah, It turns out so often, and by the way, women are this way a lot too. Maybe your young daughters are this way. You know, we get afraid of things like, I'm going to look foolish. Yep. I'm going to get criticized. I'm going to make a mistake. Well, okay, those aren't existential fears, but I learned through practice to say, okay, what am I afraid of? The simple act of saying out loud, bonus points if you write it down, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of looking like a fool. I'm afraid of making a mistake. I'm afraid of dying of cancer. Whatever it is, as soon as you name it, you have more control over it. And then what I've learned is that if you can say to yourself, okay, let me write down what's the worst thing that can happen here. Write it down. Think it through. And then what's the best thing that can happen here? And just by taking those three steps, what am I afraid of? What's the worst thing that can happen? What's the best thing that can happen? It Fear loses some of its power, and you can move from paralysis to progress, to actually doing something, to actually putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. That um, – Ability to find that courage is part of the 
first step every leader, I believe, must take. Yeah, well said. And I think it highlights, in going through that, those, that exercise, it kind of actually shows that fear is actually a blessing. It's actually a barometer of what you should probably be working through. Because if you do work through it, to your point, something significant is going to happen on the other side, right? And that's, that's, right. that's the that's, beauty. Right. That's, that's where I look at fear as, again, it can become a barometer and a blessing if you choose to look at it that way. It's never going to go well, it's away. It's a motivator. It's right. It's exactly right. It can right. be a motivator mm-hmm. if, if you deal with it as opposed to give in to it. I think a lot of times we buy into this myth that this fear and uncertainty and all these processes and procedures and way we and the things that we do and the things that we buy and the courses we enroll in and the uh, everything that we do is is to eliminate the fear, but the in, in uncertainty. But it it never goes away. That's 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 what I think great leaders understand is they they learn to be the composed force within that fear and uncertainty. And it's, that's what I'm hearing you say. I'm kind of paraphrasing what you just yes. said. Yeah. You're so fear is part of life. Setback is part of life. Crisis is part of life. Disappointment is part of life. Mistakes are part of life. All of that stuff that we think we're trying to avoid is part of life. And so we need to harness those things. We need to harness problems and see them not as huge obstacles to be avoided, but instead as opportunities to unleash our own potential for leadership. We need to see fear not as something to run away from, but as something to embrace and say, okay, I got to deal with this. What am I afraid of? Let's deal with it. To see making mistakes as an opportunity to say, okay, how do I surround myself with people who have different strengths than I do that will help me not make as many mistakes, for example? Right, right. Well, you're saying so many things that I just – that are are songs to my ears because – um, and it took me a while to figure it out, but you know, this show has been a blessing in so many ways and having over 400 plus conversations with people like yourself. I mean, and I think it was early on when I had, um, and I've told this story many times where Steve Forbes was on the show. And, and after the interview was over, we were talking off recording and we were talking about this in fear. And I said, when does it kind of go away? And he laughed at me, uproariously laughed at me. And he said he was in the shower that morning. And the limiting beliefs that were in his head about some deal he was doing, and he just felt like uh, he felt like he was unprepared. He felt like he didn't belong in the space. The deal was stupid. If people found out how unprepared he was, you know, people would laugh at him. And so this is Steve Forbes having this conversation now, you know, and that was liberating for me when I heard him say that, you know. We're all afraid. We're all afraid all through our lives. It's part of life. It's part of life, just like criticism is and setbacks are. And, I, you know, all the way back to this thing about social media, because I do worry about it. We talked about, about politics being a problem. It is. Social media is a problem as well because we want instant gratification. We want instant affirmation. We want, you know, we we want those likes. And that, I think, drives people away from challenge it it causes us to be more superficial than we should be. Gosh, I don't ever want to admit I'm afraid on this platform or I've made a mistake on this platform. All these things we're talking about are part of life and they can steer us in the right direction. A problem can steer us in the right direction, just like our fear can steer us in the right direction. I agree. Kind of that same vein is like, how do you see... As we're we sitting in here in, in late May as we're doing this recording, how, how do you see the economy kind of rebounding? Or what, just kind of give me your sense of, of, of the overall fear, how you think things are going, and where do you think things will be, knowing that we, we have no idea how it's going to end out. But what's your gut feel on this? Well, I do think um, – Let's just look at some of the data. But my bottom line here is I think it's going to be a long, slow slog back. Um, you know, I don't think this is going to be a V-shaped fast recovery. And I think those in politics who are setting that expectation are not leading and they're not helping people through what's going to be a difficult time just by the numbers. 
I mean, when you have one in four Americans filing for unemployment benefits, when you have small businesses getting crushed, many of whom will not come back, when you have industries now that will consolidate because they have to, the airline industry, the hospitality industry, all of the, when you have people's paychecks severely constrained, all of these things mean we're going to have a tough patch for a while now, not to mention the health issues, not to mention the fact that this is a real disease and it can be very uh, deleterious to people's health or even fatal and we don't have a vaccine. When you add all that up, what you see is a difficult period for some period of time. It's, we're not going to come out of it in three months like we went into it in three months. And so now leadership is required more than ever. Leadership to be, to use your words, steady and calm and consistent and courageous. Leadership to tell people the truth. Leadership that has the imagination to see the opportunities. And there are many in this very difficult time and point people to the decisions to solve the problems that are in front of us. Instead of selling people false hope or saying it's all going to be better soon, it's going to be different forever going forward. And it's going to be tough for a while, actually. Yeah, that's what I think is missing. I wish I would see. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I've never been, I got that from the Marine Corps. I've never been this kind of idea about of false motivation. Um, I'm a big believer in when something sucks, let's just say that it sucks. It doesn't mean that I'm complaining about it. I mean, I can be an inspiring force within a really bad situation, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of times just going out there and and doing, I hate false motivation walking around. Hey, you know, this is a simple example that I gave early on in the Marine Corps. It was raining and cold and this guy was out front trying to pump us up. This is what it's all about, motivating day in the ring. It's like, you don't need to say anything. We all know this is a, a, a crappy situation. Don't make it worse by this false, you know what I mean? But we don't. But, well, but, yes, it's so true. And, you know, one of, the, one of the things I say frequently that your comments remind me of, a leader, back to courage for a second, but a leader has the courage to see the truth, to speak the truth, and to act on the truth. Yeah. The truth is motivating to people. Absolutely you know what? It's is. cold, it's raining, the situation sucks. You know what? We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Everyone's sick of being at home. One in four Americans is out of a job. This sucks. It's bad. Now, <laughs> let's acknowledge that truth, but let's also be willing to act on that truth because. There are things that we can do about this. There yeah. are opportunities out there. Yeah, and that's it's, the difference between leadership and maybe politics, which sometimes just tells people what they want to hear. Yeah, you know, it's like I would rather in that crummy situation, like yeah, acknowledge the truth to your point, and then say, but you know what? I'm glad I'm here with you guys because I wouldn't want to be with anybody else, and we're going to get through this. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know I know we're going to be better on the other side. You know. And we are going to be better and we're going to be smarter. Exactly. And that's true of this pandemic mm-hmm. as well. I mean, let us say a prayer for all of the hundreds of thousands of people that have lost their lives and their loved ones. We will be smarter at yeah. the end of this than yeah. we were at the beginning of this. Well, and that's what, yeah, you're hitting on the head. I mean, that's the kind of leadership that's just been, been absent in all of this. And I mean, through the media and the politics and everything, it's just like, uh, and, and I think that's where you see the divide. Everything becomes politicized and, it, and it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. Yes. But Yes. And, you know, leaders understand to the point of problem solving and changing the order of things for the better and taking action, making decisions. Leaders understand that None of those things happen. You don't solve problems. You don't change the order of things for the better without collaborating with other people. And we also don't get smarter unless we listen to other people who might think differently than we do. I always get better when somebody challenges me. Yeah. When somebody says, you know, I don't, I don't understand why you think that or I don't agree with that. When I get challenged, I get smarter and better. We're all that way because that's when we learn is when we're challenged. And so leaders collaborate with other people to get better and smarter. 
And they particularly collaborate with other people that think differently than they do or have different experiences than they do. And politics tends to divide us into tribes of like-minded people, yeah. which isn't productive. No. I mean, I, I, I agree. Nothing made me happier leading, particularly in the corporate America. I remember and it doesn't solve problems. Right. It doesn't <laughs> solve problems. I, I remember sitting there. And I would come up with, hey, I got this great idea. I'll tell the team. And I had one team member, and she was always like, I'd, I'd go to her face because she would she would be the truth detector, you know. And she would say, I don't know, that's a dumb idea, Rich. And here's why, you know, in a respectful way. We just, but, it, but we had that that trust and that ability. And your idea got better when she said exactly that. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's you why you got better. Mm-hmm. And I, even in, from the aviation. This is- yeah, this is why people need diverse teams, by the way. Absolutely. This is why homogeneous teams don't produce as good results, and the data is clear on that. You get a homogeneous team, everybody's comfortable, everybody likes each other, everybody finishes each other's sentences, everybody agrees all the time. But guess what? You're not as productive, and your results aren't as good, and you don't get as far. Well, that's why Lincoln comprised the cabinet he did during the Civil War, you know? That's right. That's right. A lot of them didn't. They didn't like each other, but that's but at least you know that's where he got the honest results. And that, I think not being afraid of that conflict either. They respected each other exactly. Respected yeah, each not other. Not being afraid of the conflict. Mm-hmm. They respected each other and they challenged each other, and so the answers were better. Did you find that in, in corporate America in the early two thousands? Did Did you try to create that culture? I, I oh yes. Yeah. I mean we. Yes, and it, in fact, you know, you always have to start with where people are. Okay, so what I mean by that is use whatever people believe and is important to them to make progress. So, for example, why do I say that? At Hewlett-Packard, Hewlett-Packard was a technology company that valued innovation. And so I would say, okay, innovation means risk-taking, risk-taking, and risk taking means mistake making. Yeah. And then we would go a step further. We would say, okay, how are we going to ensure that we make as few mistakes as possible? Well, we need to really challenge each other's thinking. Leaders set the tone, leaders set the example, leaders set the culture for better or for worse. Yeah. I love it. I, I, guess, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall when you were going through all that stuff. It's probably. I just wish I could have seen all of that. I mean, I, I remember even following you even back then when it was all happening and all the things that you went through. And I just like, I wish I could have been just observing some of that. Well, if you, if you're, you're giving me an easy way to plug this, but if you're interested in that, you ought to get my first book, which is called Tough Choices. Yeah. And it's a very granular account of everything from you know, having my first business meeting in a strip club. Oh my to God. Getting fired. <laughs> yes, that's a true story. To getting fired in the corporate boardroom of Hewlett Packard. Yeah. It's a very granular account. Yeah. Tough I, choices. Well, gosh, I could talk to you for, for hours about this. What's next for you? What, what, are you? what are you looking to do? How can people learn more about what you're doing? Well, the. Last question is the easiest one. Please uh, come to CarlyFiorina.com. You can learn all about the work we do with companies, with nonprofits. We have digital curriculum, um, CarlyFiorina.com. You know, to the point of what's next, as I said in my most recent book, Find Your Way, I have never laid out a plan for two years, five years, 10 years. I've never done that. Yeah. And I think the reason I've never done that is because I've learned we don't control the future. We can't predict the future and we don't control our circumstances. What I've always done instead is try to make an impact every single day, try to add value every day, try to make a difference every day, and then seize the opportunities when they're in front of me and solve the problems that are right in front of me. And so that's why I do the work that I do through Unlocking Potential and Carly Fiorina Enterprises, which people can learn more about by going on to carlyfiorina.com. There isn't some position or title I'm out there aspiring to. If one happens to come up, then I'll evaluate that opportunity. That's how I ran for president. I didn't have a five-year plan. Yeah. But I saw a problem, and I thought I could add value to that process, whether I want it or not. I love it. That's the reason why I knew 
I, you would be a great guest because you, you you preach everything that I I believe and we talk about here on the show and that I personally try to live out in my life. I try to do the exact same thing that you said, you know, and I try to impart that. I on, know you do. <laughs> I try to impart that on my daughters. I know daughters. you do because you're a leader. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, but I mean, I I, I tell my daughters all the time. They're you know, my one of them, my third one's getting ready to be a senior. And she's like, I got to have it all figured. You don't have it all figured out. I said, just don't. I said, just, I go add, find places where you can add value. And when opportunities present themselves, go through that door and don't be worried about where it is. Don't you know, maybe it takes you to Bismarck, South Dakota. Who cares? Right. Go there. And, and, yeah. and so, well, yeah. it, oh, so true. I, that's why I say she's blessed to have you as her father, but you know, um, I was a medieval history and philosophy major in college. I dropped out of law school after less than a semester. I started as a secretary. This is not a sparkling resume, and I did not have a plan. Right. But so what I tell parents will say to me, similar to what you asked, what should I tell my kids? And my answer is always the same. Just go get a job. It doesn't matter what job it is. Go get a job. I don't care what it is. And when you get that job... Do it to the best of your ability. Do it well. Add value. Make a difference. And when you do that, people are going to notice, and opportunity will knock. And when it does, walk through the door. Amen. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad to to have met you, Carly, and I hope we can stay in touch. And and I'm proud to have you. I hope we can as well. I hope you uh, are. I'm I'm honored to have you be part of the Dose of Leadership tribe. you fit in well, is what I'm trying to say. So I guess that uh, I'm so honored to have you on the show. Well, I am honored to be a part of your, your tribe. Consider me a uh, card-carrying fan. Yeah. Oh, and I want to mention, you got a great podcast, too. You've had some amazing guests. How, are you still doing your podcast? Uh, yes. So the podcast is by example. You can uh, find where to get it. Uh, you can get it on anywhere you listen to your podcast. But um on CarlyFiorina.com. That is uh, the source of all information about everything that I'm doing. Uh, but we've had some uh, awesome guests on by example, and we need to have you on as well. Oh, I'd love to. And that would be a huge honor. And again, a, a great podcast, great guests. And, and I hope all my listeners add it to their uh, listening for their uh, their leadership journey. It's just great stuff. Carly, I can't tell you how fun this was for me. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, it was great fun for me as well. And thank you for your leadership and the value you add and the difference that you make every day. And I hope we stay in touch. Yes. Thanks, Carly. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse. Tell your kids. Tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that those leadership brings to your world. Go to DoseOfLeadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.